Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Welcome back to Around the Coin. Today, my guest on this show is Georgi Kazarazi. He is the CEO and co-founder of Aurorix. He is known as G, so I'm calling him G in the conversation. <laughs> uh, Aurorix is building a has built a wallet. Uh, they've raised five million dollars. The company plans to go public. So we talked about his tactical plans for going public, uh, whether it be through a SPAC, a direct listing. Um, he wants to become their first crypto company, not the first, one of the few early stage crypto companies to go public. Uh, this can open up new pathways for investment into the company and help grow the business, but also serve as a pathway for uh, other crypto projects who are looking for access to uh, public investors on the NASDAQ, the Dow, the public markets. So I'm fascinated to see how this goes. Um, we cover other topics involving where the company has come from, where they're going, uh, and I hope you enjoy. Here is G, the co-founder of Orex. All right, gee, I'm excited to chat with you, man. Uh, <clears throat> you run a pretty cool company called Orox. Um, I've seen it and heard it, listened to it, read it, described as a terminal wallet for crypto trading trends. Um, but in your own words, how do you describe what Orox is trying to accomplish in the world? Yeah, uh, we're essentially trying, and it's good to be here. Thanks for uh, having yeah. us. Um, uh, we're essentially trying to create an ecosystem of products that makes investing trading easy. Um, not just actually, not just trading, but to allow users to take part in decentralized finance and, and generate yields and interest rates that are not available anywhere else. Uh, we think DeFi is the, the next stage of cryptocurrency and we're heavily uh, involved in that, that phase of crypto. So traction so far just in terms of things accomplished you externally it seems like you've raised five million uh roughly 10 people in the team somewhere in that range <clears throat> um product wise or however you measure meaningful metrics of traction revenue users um transaction volume how do you think of like what's internally what are the okrs or kpis that you think about uh, retention. Um, I think, uh, cause we're up until this point, I mean, even now we haven't really done a lot of marketing, um, uh, in crypto. I mean, most of other companies budgets, like it's like 90% marketing and 10% development, but 
we spent most of our time developing and getting the products ready and then marketing because um, the, the retention is really what matters. If you can't retain the audience, you can spend hundreds of millions of dollars and uh, you're just constantly churning users. Um, so our retention has been, has, has been very good, um, even though we have a lot of things to fix and, and adjust and learn from our user base. Um, we retain about 50% of the signups, about, I want to say actually 40 to 50%. It's kind of ranges depending on the month, but, uh, we retain about 50% of the signups within the first month. Um, and then it slowly does drop off, but we do retain a significant amount of the initial signups with, uh, organic traffic. Um, so, once we get into the next phases of development over the next uh, six months, we'll be ramping up our marketing and taking advantage of our high retention rates and, and growing qu- pretty quickly. Boom. And I like it. Uh, and so we're, give me a rough ballpark or I don't know if you're transparent with traction, that sort of thing, but yep. where, how many users have used it or that sort of so, thing? Uh, we're sitting at, I think it's around like 70,000 uh, right now. I'd have to double check, but um, that's all through. I mean, we've spent, like I said, spent barely any money. Uh, most of it has been word of mouth. Even right now, we have zero advertising out there because we're focusing on the wallet that's coming up and everything else. Um, and we're still signing up like 50 to 100 people a day, uh, just organically. How do people find it? I don't know, uh, to be honest, <laughs> we, do have, uh, we do have a press out there, you know, we have some, uh, you know, we do, you know, shows and things like that, but it's mostly just been organic. Um, I mean, we do some brain marketing um, from time to time. Uh, I think it's just people referring one another, um, just the word of mouth. And I think that's the good part about crypto too, is uh, if something is good, um, and you get that initial chatter, it starts spreading into these communities. So you don't even have to do a lot of uh, uh, external marketing. Um, you don't have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on paid media because people themselves are talking about it. Yeah, people generally have a aggressively curious disposition that they're, you, yeah. know, you know, people who are in crypto. I mean, it's, of course, different for different people, but there's a huge cohort, unlike any other industry that seems to be driving driving adoption forward and that has to be motivated sure there's definitely some functionality desire desire out there but it's really like price speculation trying to buy into early projects uh, which is super cool right it drives adoption um plus you guys also have a sweet logo with this uh with the horns of the bull (laughs) the longhorn um (laughs) so what what are the what are you gonna say no, I was like, it ties directly into like that was, we actually went through so many redesigns in the past, um, of our website and that, that new one, uh, this new website came out like two or three months ago and been loved with the, 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 the branding, uh, that the team did. Um, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. I like it. Uh, so, so run me through the products today and maybe something in the pipeline, w- what's working. You mentioned the wallets coming soon. Um, what, what's currently like the bread and butter of what you guys have built? Yeah, so the all-in-one terminal uh, that has, you know, the 60 exchanges, hundreds of thousands of pairs that users can track, uh, all the proprietary tools, analytics solutions, that is live, functional. People are using it on a daily basis. Um, it's free. Uh, for, for the most part, it's free. Um, so there's some 
um, items that you need our token to access, but uh, we've kept as much of it as, as free as possible. Um, so that's live. It's actually going through a huge UI and UX uh, redesign. Um, this is one of the reasons that we're actually holding off on uh, marketing as well. Uh, we hired um, Clay Global. Shout it out to them. They're an incredible company. They did uh, Coinbase uh, mobile application and a bunch of Fortune 500 uh, companies, UI, UX. Um, they're doing a great job. Uh, once they're done with the redesign, we'll implement it and then uh, promote the platform, the terminal heavily. In the meanwhile, um, we moved our development team to work on the wallet, uh, the Chrome extension wallet, or actually browser extension wallet, and then the mobile application that goes along with that. Um, essentially, it allows users to um, trade tens of thousands of pairs on decentralized exchanges like Uniswap, uh, PancakeSwap, OneInch. But uh, what we did that was unique uh, to our platform, to our uh, wallet, is try to mimic the the look and feel of something that the user is already used to, which is really centralized exchanges. You know, they're used to Coinbase, they're used to Binance, they're used to these uh, centralized exchanges, but they're not used to Uniswap and decentralized uh, exchanges. So we took the look and feel of the centralized exchange on the front end and then overlaid it on the back end of the smart contracts and improved the offloaded the complexities to our back end. So the user looks thinks that, you know, they're trading on that Coinbase, but in reality, they're trading on a decentralized exchange. So that affords them a lot more options, um, significantly more tokens, new tokens that are launching on a daily basis. They can stake liquidity mine, everything that uh, is great about DeFi within the palm of their hand. Mm. And is that live today or is that what you're anticipating the redesign and launch with the wallet? No, so the the wallet and the mobile application will be coming out here uh, shortly, probably within the month or two. Um, the browser extension will come out within probably by end of next month is where we're shooting for maybe a delay here and there, but uh, end of next month is where we're shooting for mobile application will come out within maybe 30 or 60 days after that. Um, and then by end of the summer beginning of fall is when the terminal will have its new fresh redesign so we'll have three products to really promote and hammer by the end of this year and get it get a lot of traction going and what do most people use the terminal for today when people uh you know when you talk about attrition people are going in there they're getting value they're coming back is it mainly for the visual graph to understand how different currency pairs are trending and be able to draw more advanced trading insights from from those trends yeah um so they're using it for essentially monitoring the entire market some people are using for arbitrage some people are using it to strictly trade one token uh but using the indicators and the 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 analytics solutions that we provide um, to get a better idea, like the average session on our page, uh, and this is actually on the low end because Brave is stripping out our uh, tracking pixels, but and most of crypto is using Brave, but uh, it's about two to three hours a day. Um, so people are spending a lot of time on the platform actively using it. Um, and so they're day trading, they're going in and out of trades, even when the market is like this, as long as there's volatility, people are just on the platform finding those good opportunities to get in get out of the market. Mm. 
A uh, quick aside on Brave. I interviewed the CTO, founder of Brave, and uh, I personally use it and love it. And I bought in early, not to say the price of the BAT token has done all that much, you know, but it's an awesome project. Um, you mentioned they're stripping out the the pixel, the tracking pixel. They're generally known for having you know, a strong, heavy hand against uh, embedded advertisement and tracking. Yeah. Is that something that they changed recently where they were allowing tracking pixels and now they don't? No, no, they were, they're so aggressive in, in stripping out uh, tracking pixels. It's actually making our, like on one hand, I do understand it. On the other hand, you know, I just want to know how many people are on our platform. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just want to know, know a very simple stat. Uh, so they're, they're, uh, they're a little difficult uh, to work with. We essentially have to offload some of our tracking and we're working on that uh, actually over the course of the next few weeks um, to offload the tracking so I can understand how many people are actively using the platform because if I don't understand that simple stats, then we don't know, you know, how are we going to scale our servers and how, uh, what are the pain points are going to be in the future when we do scale up marketing. But yeah, no, Brave is doing an incredible job stripping out literally anything you throw it at it. <laughs> do, do you see, uh, I, you said most people in crypto are using Brave. That makes sense to me, but I, I I wonder how they're doing. I don't know if you've uh, s- s- heard any anecdotal stories about uh, the project's growth. I think of it as like an early technology that has to overcome Chrome. I mean, that Chrome is the biggest competitor in yeah. the space. Um, and it just seems like you, you, with the embedded crypto in it, it's a, uh, you know, it. I'm like, how does this not win? How does this not beat out Chrome in the long run? No, I mean, it it really is at this point. It's like, I would imagine out of because it has the same user agent as Chrome. So if we just take the Chrome uh, segment, I would imagine at least fifty percent of those are using uh, Brave. Because we even had to like put up like. This was early on. It was maybe a, uh, six or seven months ago. Uh, we implemented this like popover saying, you know, if you want to help us um, make the platform better, you know, disable the the, tr- the the brave ad blocker, so we can understand <laughs> how people are using the platform, and it it made a huge difference. Like it was like we were looking at let's say a hundred users, and all of a sudden there's like three hundred users on the platform. Um, so it, it made a pretty pretty big difference. And how come you can't see the number of users and what they're doing when they're logged in? Wouldn't you have that session data? No. I mean, you need to figure out, let's say, yeah, so we do have the sessions when the session is open, but sessions can expire even if they're still on the platform uh, because it's one screen. Um, So we have to essentially track it on the back end and track every kind of click on the platform to figure out Maybe, you know, this new product that we released doesn't work, but if we're using Google Analytics uh, to track that button click to see if it's in the right place, if it does the right thing, uh, it strips that automatically. Uh, Whereas with backend tracking, we'll be able to see, you know, that user did click on that button. Um, It's just like Google Analytics just makes life easier because it's literally just one little code whereas yeah. with backend you have to really restructure the entire thing and set up a, a pretty significant uh, solution for it in the last 10 years over 100 billion dollars worth of crypto has been lost or stolen specifically because of poor key management scams and hackers 
forget not your keys, not your crypto. Software and hardware wallets have both the same vulnerability, that a single private key can be lost, hacked, or simply just misplaced. My new sponsor, the Zengo Crypto Wallet, is a total game changer, bringing wallet security to a whole new level. You have to check out Zengo, an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability, leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which has, just until now, only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. So Zengo, most secure Web3 wallet, is the best place to keep your crypto, NFTs, and assets secured. It's also fully recoverable using their biometric recovery system, and it's also just beautiful. Get started at Zengo.com and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's Zengo.com, code ATC for $20 back on your purchase of $200 or more. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there'll be better products that meet that new demand, you know, because analytics is very much... I remember when they first came out, it was pretty ugly, the user experience. That's why Mixpanel was kind of the biggest competitor at the time for analytics. Um, but anyways, down the analytics rabbit hole. Uh, I'm curious to learn more about you, man. So did you, prior to this, what, what, was, what were you up to? And how did you become interested in this specific problem? Um, so this is actually, uh, I've worked with my partners for a long time now. I think it's been over a decade. Um, we met in high school on an online marketing forum. Um, we are all the same age. Turns out it just completely randomly. You know, we're all uh, within a few months to a year uh, from one another. Um, and I ended up, uh, my parents are immigrants. You know, they, they immigrated here with absolutely nothing uh, to our name. Um, from Georgia. From Georgia, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was going through like this huge revolutionary phase there. Like, uh, I think within two years after we left, the old president was, uh, had, was forced to step down. It wasn't a, um, it wasn't like an aggressive revolution, but they essentially like you step down or we're going to kick you out. Uh, so I, I, was that in the, what time period is that? The sixties, seventies? No, no, no. That was in uh, two thousand. I want to say it was two thousand two. I should oh. probably know this, being from there. But um, so we immigrated when it was two thousand, or sorry, uh, nine two thousand. I think we immigrated exactly on two thousand, and then the revolution happened in like two thousand one, two thousand two. Mm. Um, so pretty shortly after that. Mm. And, and did many people also leave during that time that could leave? Um, Many people are still leaving the country. I mean, it's still um, now it actually after that happened, the new president that came in completely changed the country and made it more uh, to more up to standards with Europe. Um, like he created uh, and he essentially created this entire city of that mimics like Miami because <laughs> he liked Miami so much. He actually studied over here. I think he went to Harvard or something. Um, and so he liked Miami so much. There was a beach city that was kind of up and coming, but it just wasn't there yet. And he like just funneled so much money into it. It became like one of the top destinations of travel within that region. Uh, like, you know, with Turkey, Russia, and like all these different Ukraine, all these different regions there. Um, but then, um, this, I don't know the full story. I don't pay attention to this, to this much, but this, um, guy came in he's the only georgian billionaire in the entire world just one um and he made his money in uh, in russia in, uh, in oil or something along those lines um 
and he came in and started promising people, um, you know, free houses and, uh, went into like the villages where they have two, three hundred dollars to their name, went in there and fixed their roads and, uh, gave them food and all this stuff. And, um, he ended up winning, even though, you know, he had essentially ties to Russia. And sure enough, <laughs> that was not the right call. Um, essentially now Georgia has become this somewhat of a, a Russian puppet nation. Mm. It's still not as bad as, you know, some of the other regions in near Russia, but it's still kind of more on Putin's there. At least the government officials are more on Putin's side. Um, they act like they're not, but they, mm-hmm. they have ties to Russia essentially now. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And all that's unfolding right now too. So very yeah. relevant stories. Uh, so when you got to, where did you guys land in the U S straight in uh, Dallas? Yeah. Yeah. And what was, uh, you, w- w- so you grew up effectively from 2002 to the last 20 years here. Um, yeah. so w- how old were you when you moved to the U S um, I was eight. So I think I turned nine here. So yeah, about exactly 20 years. Um, actually it's yeah. going to be 20 years exactly this summer. <laughs> huh. And so you must remember a decent amount prior to coming, right? You have some, some memories at least. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, I still speak the language and everything. So I still remember it, uh, being there. It's just, uh, I've gotten more Americanized. <laughs> it used to be, you know, I had a heavy accent here, um, for the first, like, I don't know, 10 years and now when i go back and visit they're like you have an american accent so Mm. (laughs) i completely switched (laughs) yeah makes sense makes sense uh and so what were you pursuing i mean you were prior to this what were you up to yeah so yeah we got started in high school me and my partners found each other on an online marketing forum um and we were all just tired of we just didn't really want to go through that you know nine to five job because it was you know you're getting into high school People are saying, you know, what are you going to go to school for? What are you going to want to do with your life? And I was like, I don't want to work nine to five. Uh, so we ended up uh, going on this online marketing forum, randomly meeting each other and uh, starting affiliate marketing. Um, so we would buy ads uh, for leads and, and things like that. Um, then we went into just straight up media buying where we advertised heavily on Facebook Um from there, we started e-commerce uh, companies where we bought and sold uh, goods online. So we would import and manufacture products, uh, usually in China, imported them into the United States and sold them through e-commerce. And then we also got into a software as a service company. Um, myself and my other partner owned uh, an advertising analytics company for specifically Facebook. Um, he still owns i mean he doesn't manage it that much anymore but he still is technically an owner uh, of another company that does uh software advertising analytics so what we essentially did was just you know take our few hundred dollars a day that or a month actually maybe even a year that we were making initially invested into the new project and then we were you know generating maybe a few thousand dollars a month and take that invest into the next company that we were doing a few thousand dollars a day and then so on and so forth and built it um built these different companies uh until we came to crypto in uh 2017 2016 2017 um where we were investing in companies that we thought would uh do well back then um and realized that there was a problem with data fragmentation um and just it was a very poor environment back then i mean 
uh, if you want to go back to yeah. like way back machine and look at you know what coin market cap looked like, it was <laughs> it was it was a whole different uh, era. Um, so, anyways, we wanted an all-in-one trading terminal, something that would help us trade um, and make proper decisions. So we founded Orox, and you know we're like, why invest in these companies when we can create our own uh, product, our own company that um, could help other people make proper investments. Um, well, our, make our investments easier as well as other people's uh, investments easier. And that's where really Orox was born. Um, and even now, you know, our goal is to simplify trading, simplify investing and, and take advantage of the cryptocurrency market. Yeah. And th- what, tell me about the specific idea to layer on this user experience or this, um, GUI to the DeFi world. Cause that, that to me feels like a, a big opportunity in that there's incredible power in these DeFi networks and marketplaces, but they are intimidating to people both from the conceptual level that if you make a mistake, then you lose your money and no one could ever get it back for you. And then two, on the actual experiential level that they're cumbersome and they're a different experience than what people are used to for putting it lightly. Let me ask you this. Why do you think the DeFi marketplaces, exchanges, products that are out there are so poorly brand if you would agree that they are poorly branded why are they so poorly branded or designed is it that they just don't put the effort into design and user experience or something else um i think yeah well i mean i think it's uh it's right now it's so complex in its nature um you know dealing with gas fees and smart contracts and stuff it's a pretty heavy lifting for for a company to not only develop the smart contracts but also develop the UI um, to simplify the entire process. I don't think the blockchain itself is there yet either. Um, for example, um, with the, we wanted to do like gasless trading. So a user um, essentially pays for the gas and the token that they want, th- that they're transacting in. Um, now there is a company, there's companies that are using, uh, it's called the IP, I think it's 1559 if I'm remembering correctly. Which allows meta transactions. If you've probably seen it, or some of our uh, listeners might have seen it, where you just connect your wallet to Uniswap and then you can sign a transaction rather than approve a transaction. With the signing, um, you don't pay a fee initially. You just kind of uh, sign it, and then the transaction hash or the the signed transaction goes to a router, and then that router processes it. And it, that part simplified it a little bit, but unfortunately, it only works for a specific subset of tokens. So, for example, with our token that we have, it doesn't have that upgrade in it because it's not a requirement. Um, and all the old tokens that have already been deployed, it was never available, so they don't have it. Um, so, the blockchain has their Ethereum Foundation. Ethereum have made the changes to allow uh, paying for. Uh, gas fees in the token that you're sending but it's only a very small subset of tokens we had to spend essentially about a month and a half or two months actually more than a month and a half to two months for just development and i spent months before that on research on how to fix this issue so any token can be utilized to pay for gas um and that's such a simple like user experience thing like yeah of course you should be able to pay fee with the token that you're transacting in like, duh, like if you're a new user, I should be able to uh, do that. Um, but it took months of research and work to finally get that to work. 
Um, and that's just one thing that we're improving on and everything else as well, like the UI and all the things that we want to do is also pretty simple for the end user, but on the back end, it's a pretty significant challenge. And I don't think anyone in DeFi has really wanted to tackle this problem. Um, they are slowly, mm. uh, they're, they're realizing like the blockchain and operability keyword has become like this huge buzzword <laughs> recently um, for good reason. Yeah. Why do you think that that specific point of friction hasn't been uh, smoothed over? You know, I'm thinking if, if I have to uh, tell me what the status quo is today. So if I'm going on any DeFi exchange, are people purchasing another token for the most part on these exchanges and using those as gas? Or is there now currently the option to use the, if I'm trading Bitcoin to Ethereum, can I use Bitcoin or Ethereum or just some transaction fee in the middle to make that trade? Or like, what, what is it like today? No, no, it's still, as most platforms are still forcing you to use Ethereum because it's it's necessary. So if you're transacting on the Ethereum chain, you're using the Ethereum uh, token. Um, this contract, then we're actually going to get it, release it uh, hopefully this week or maybe next week will be the first uh, contract and and code that will allow any token to be utilized to pay for gas uh, during the during the swapping. Um, so right now, it's really, if you don't have Ethereum, you're not transacting on the Ethereum chain. Um, there are some places, like I said, that do allow um, through EIP-1559, but it's only certain tokens. It's like 10 or 20 tokens out of like thousands that allow that. And so what's going on underneath the hood? So DeFi, if, if I'm picturing the exchange here, if I'm say I want to go from Bitcoin to Litecoin, I have a hundred US dollar equivalent worth of Bitcoin, and I want to move that into Litecoin. Somebody out there has, say, a uh, thousand or a hundred of Litecoin, they want to move to Bitcoin. So the market maker makes that connection. The gas fees on top of that well, tell you in your words, because you're much more familiar about this. How do you explain what, what's going on with the current DeFi trades and then how you built your backend? Yeah. So right now you have, let's take Uniswap because it's you know the, the number one uh, decentralized exchange. Um, so you have liquidity pools that are sitting on the chains. Um, in order to access these liquidity pools, uh, you essentially have to pay ETH as the, as the network fee. Uh, if I'm trying to swap from USDC to even ETH itself, um, I have to have ETH on top of that to pay for the fee. Uh, only ETH allows me to transact on the chain itself, nothing else. Um, we didn't fix this part. Like this is, we, our platform still needs ETH to process the transaction. But what we did is during this swap, when you're converting USDC to ETH, we essentially take part of the USDC, swap it to ETH, and then pay back the, the miners. So you get, let's say the, the fee is $50 and you have $500 in USDC, you get $500, you get $450 back, and then the miners get $50 in that fee. And all this happens um, in, in one transaction. Um, now, USDC is a bad example for this because USDC does support the IP uh, standard, um, but other tokens like ours does not. Um, so you essentially have to swap that token into ETH at any time and then send it back to the, the miners. Um, with 
it's just it's pretty complex like uh, i mean when i first downloaded a, a wallet and i was trying to a, a hardware wallet um i was trying to i received usdc from someone and i was trying to send that to like a developer's payment uh this was a long time ago um and when i clicked send it was like you don't have enough eth to make this transaction I'm like why do i need ETH mm. <laughs> to send usdc to someone it, it does, doesn't make any sense um, so I can imagine every, and I'm more technical, um, uh, so I can imagine a lot of people that are being onboarded, uh, to DeFi have a significant amount of issues figuring out what is going on. It, what, it, to me, it doesn't seem that this particular point of friction has been, uh, maybe it has, and I just don't see it, but is it, is this something that's talked about is, is well aware? I generally hear people complain about the the price of the transactions that ETH2 specifically will supposedly reduce the cost of transactions. Um, but the cumbersome experience, you know, are people just not complaining about it because they feel like there's some shame and not being technical enough to handle it? Or do you, do you see maybe people are complaining enough so publicly or on Discord I- or Telegram or Twitter somewhere? I think people are just dealing with it because you get used to it. So you get a warning message. You don't have ETH. Oh, okay. So I have to transfer ETH into this wallet. But what I've realized that when I talk to people, um, because I have like so many wallets in my MetaMask uh, um, that have like different amount of tokens in each one. Um, but all of a sudden, you know, I'll, let's say I, I send USDC from one wallet to my developer. And now I'm completely out of ETH, but I have like 20,000 USDC in that wallet. I have to transfer over ETH into that wallet just to get that funds out. And that specific use case, I've asked people, and look, are you experiencing this? And it's like 100% across the board. They're like, yeah, I have like tokens stuck in this wallet and I can't even get it out because it costs more for me to just right. send ETH into it yeah. and to get it out of the, the wallets. Um, so it's definitely a problem. It's just people are ignoring it because there is no like, um, it was, I think, Steve Jobs, I, I'm probably going to butcher this quote, uh, people don't know what they want until you present it to them. Um, they're de- dealing with this cubersome experience without realizing that there is a, a better <laughs> way. Uh, there should be a better way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And often in spaces where there's a completely new experience, like what everything we're describing in DeFi, there's not a similar analogy or comparison to something else. It's not like, you know, oftentimes you can say, oh, our healthcare system isn't working right because we can look at another country and compare it to that uh, or banking or something. But here it's like, no, we're all crypto is universal. There's no other country to look at or other planet to look at so it does feel like a it's a thing that people can get over it's not a showstopper it's uh just a major inconvenience and also it it, like i have you know less than a dollar of uh uh dow in some wallet that i have i I can't get that out it's like like what you said it's just i don't have enough (laughs) in there to transact so i wonder how many like if you were to aggregate all the uh, all the wallets, all the value and all the wallets of money that people have that they can't transfer out because they don't have enough in there. It has to be at this point, millions, maybe tens of millions. Probably. Yeah. It's, it's probably a lot of money. There was actually, um, just to show you how much money is in those, like, you know, the, the dust uh, that are left over in the wallets. There was a, uh, article a while back I read, it was uh, a security article, uh, Krebs on security. Um, uh, 
he was talking about this fraudster that essentially would uh, set up a e-commerce website, a real e-commerce website, charge you know charge these people, ship them their product and everything, and then after like a year, like a few months went by, they would start charging like a dollar a day. Um, so they would build up this entire list, like hundreds of thousands of people, and start charging a dollar per day. And most people wouldn't complain about that because they would they wouldn't even see that. I was like, oh, I might have like bought a Coke or mm-hmm. something at the store, like whatever. It added up to like tens of millions of dollars <laughs> per year in revenue that this person was making and going completely uh, under the radar. So imagine like how much money with millions of people that are transacting uh, using like wallets that is stuck um, yeah. in these wallets that they can't get out. We sound like the guys from Office Space. You ever see the movie Office Space? Where they're like, bro, if you invent this algorithm that can just take the rounding error after the penny and deposit it into our account, then we'll be rich. And the next day they have like $300,000 in their account. They're like, no, it's not supposed to work that quick. <laughs> Slow. Yeah. Uh, yep. uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah. And it's also a real problem in DeFi that, it, I, do you view it as a design overlook or just part of the, you know, V1, V2 design that this is just how it works. And, you know, we need people like um, you to come out and build a better solution on top of it. I think it is a, a design overlook, but I'm not saying that uh, what the Ethereum Foundation did is incredible. What's Polygon, all these chains that have uh, created things that I, I can't imagine uh, managing a development team to create things like that. Um, or how much effort it took to create uh, blockchains like that. Um, but I think it's because it blew up so quickly uh, that it was completely unexpected. Um, I don't think <laughs> Ethereum uh, founder uh, to like knew actually how quickly his project would grow and how many people will build on top of it. And that's why we're having the gas issues. I think, you know, he's like, oh yeah, Bitcoin will, you know, the, the Ethereum will just grow a little bit here and there. We can modify it, upgrade it, et cetera. And all of a sudden, um, overnight, it's like this thing that's processing thousands and thousands of transactions, billions of dollars. Um, and you have no chance to uh, update it, um, especially with a blockchain, right? He makes a mistake. Like doing this V2 upgrade, he makes one mistake and it's billions of dollars. It's not trillions of dollars. Uh, well, actually, not trillions, <laughs> probably billions, hundreds of billions of dollars well, uh, being lost. It's certainly trillions of dollars that will be impacted, you know, because the, think about, even think about Luna, yeah. right? As Luna yeah. crashed, it's not just yeah. the price of Luna that goes down. It's like sure. it, it might drag down a hundred other currencies with it and then change exactly. the relationship that people have with crypto generally. Have you spent time diving deep into Ethereum project development or is that, yeah? Yeah, yeah that's what we're mainly building on that and uh, Polygon. Um, that has been Ethereum and uh, smart contracts have been, like I can understand it to the point where I can literally tell my developers this is what we need to do. I can't code at all, even though I went for went to school for computer science. Um, I can't code at all, uh, but I do understand the infrastructure enough to essentially tell them this is what needs to be done. Um, look at this upgrade, look at what this uh, contract is doing. Like this gases thing was essentially i brought this entire solution up and the developer did an incredible job implementing it 
And how do you create this product spec? I mean, are you writing out just in your own words or are you just talking to him or writing up a spec sheet on specifically what's done? And then also, how do you research this? Are you on forums or Reddit or white papers or smoking weed or what's your, what's your, what's your press? <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we just use uh, Notion or Google Doc uh, where I just write out, you know, um, resources and materials for them to look into. They still have to do their research um, to understand it fully, but at least I give them the jump start. Um, as far as uh, what brings the ideas, I essentially barely sleep. And uh, at the end of the day, my mind just runs wild. Uh right before i fall asleep and this was one of the ideas so like i was like huh i wonder if you can do this with uh using uh miners uh to execute these transactions and sure enough then i just google 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 until it's like visited every <laughs> single link um and try to make the connections uh uh between uh different things that people have written um uh it's really just trying to connect the pieces because there's people that have done like there is, like I said, there is gasless transactions right now, but it's not for every token. So I took that and then looked at this other project that was doing uh, uh, this flashbots that was interacting with miners directly and figuring out how to connect these two to make it work for every token. Um, just really connecting the dots and figuring out how the entire infrastructure can work together. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. And when you're, I just want to take one step backwards. When you were asked, when you were describing how the uh, the mechanics work under the hood, the say in the case of you said if uh, someone's making a hundred dollar transaction in USDC or Bitcoin to Litecoin, that you're taking a percentage of that and you're running a side transaction. So you're saying instead of needing ETH to make that transaction, Bitcoin to Litecoin, you would take. 2% of Bitcoin run on behind the scenes, you'd run a separate transaction, Bitcoin to ETH to get the ETH and then come back into that trade, use the ETH to then facilitate the trade. Does that? Ex exactly. Yeah. Um, so the, these transactions essentially like happen at this in the same block. Um, so one of the things with smart contracts, that's why flash loans, you know, you can essentially borrow like tens of millions of dollars with, zero almost zero collateral because as long as that flash loan it knows that it can get repaid back in the same blog it allows you to borrow those funds um so that's the same situation here um as long as the miners know that at the end of the transaction they're going to get paid back the 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 gas price the, whatever the network costs then they're willing to run that transaction um so with that you have two transactions one is where you're converting for example, Bitcoin to Litecoin, where the user receives whatever the Litecoin that they, they need to. The second transaction is taking that percentage, converting it to ETH, um, and sending it to the miners. And those transactions are together. So they execute at the same time. Uh, and the miner knows that I'm going to get, and the blockchain itself knows uh, the gas price, the network price is going to be paid. 
So let's run it. Mm. And the miner's not doing anything or seeing anything unique there, right? It's it's the same right. as every other trade. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. It's exactly. just algorithmic exactly. trading anyways. Interesting. Um, I dig it. I dig it. And so that, again, the timing on that is a couple months away, roughly. No. Uh, we're actually going to release the, the code itself, the contract there and everything. Probably next week, um, my developer actually sent me a video uh, demonstrating everything has been tidied up. Um, so we're going to put that on our GitHub this upcoming week. That way, other people can build on top of it, uh, can utilize what, we, what we've created. Um, and then, of course, that's going to be implemented into our wallet and everything else uh, ourselves to uh, make the user experience uh, much simpler. Mm. Um, hopefully, people build on top of it and see the potential of it because it does simplify um, the onboarding process significantly. Mm. You guys raised some money. How did you? How did you? What was the raising process like for you? Um, it was pretty different than what we're used to. Um, we, you know, self-funded the entire project. Um, part of me is I, I never wanted. Uh, I guess this was mine my personal experience or my personal reason for it. I never really wanted investments early on because you're in the hands of um, the investors at that point, even now, like even, I mean, we're not that big. So we're, um, when you have investors, obviously you have um, your duty to protect their investments and make sure that um, you're doing everything impossible to grow their equity just as much as obviously our equity. So it's like an added stress that I just never really wanted. But in this business, to grow as quickly as everyone else that is raising tens and hundreds of millions of dollars, you need that capital. Um, and it's been put to good use. Like we've expanded our team, the website. Um, we finally got a website that we're proud of. Um, and the UI UX team, like Clay, it, it's a, they're a fairly expensive company um, for good reason. Um the mobile development, everything has really sp sped up, and that's why you need capital injection. But at the same time, you um, it's it's a different scenario, like uh, dealing with investors directly um, and knowing that uh, the weight of their investment is laying on your shoulders is is a uh, it can be a little stressful to to say the least. Yeah, and how did you meet these folks, the investors, yours? Yeah, um, so we were actually out looking for investment around, I want to say, last summer. Uh, so we were talking with VCs and, and things like that, and someone um, came up to us. Um, they're from the capital markets uh, field and said, you know, um, if you want cash, like I know people that can raise money really quickly, um, but they're going to be on the, from the capital side. Um, and it actually lined up uh, well for us because we didn't have to get a VC involved, which they're known to be very heavy-handed. Uh, with control and preferred shares yeah yeah um you're essentially working for them <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, at that point um whereas this person was able to organize around uh with people that wanted to help us go public and it lined up in the way that one we want to go public by the end of this year i don't know if you saw that article but we want to be a software um the first crypto software DeFi company on a national exchange like nasdaq to drive more eyes on us and drive more liquidity into the company as well. So they were going to help us with that. And the investment is more like 
you know, they trust us. You guys are running the company correctly. Just keep going. Uh, here's a cash injection. You guys do what needs to be done to grow this company and take it to the next level. Versus with a VC, uh, uh, we've heard some horror stories as far as the uh, how the the founders are treated and um, how the shares are organized and et cetera. What what is? I mean, I'm much more. I've raised VC for multiple startups, and I'm much more familiar with with how that all works. When you say capital markets, what does that mean? Is that private equity or is that individual family funds or? Yeah. So usually, uh, so most of them are, uh, uh, family, uh, offices, offices. Uh, that invested. Some of them are, some of them are private, uh, individual investors like angel investors. Um, but they are all mostly, I shouldn't say all mostly involved in the capital market. So the stock market and, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Um, so they help, uh, companies not only get to, uh, to the, to the stock market itself. Uh, but also support them in the aftermarkets. Um, so that's where they're coming in. So not only did they come in with a pretty large cash injection, but um, they're going to be helping us throughout the process over the next few months or yeah, about next six months or so um, to get us to NASDAQ. I mean, those are my attorney says I need to be very careful with the wording, but that's our yeah. target is, is, is NASDAQ, um, is, is being the first one on there because I feel like that's a huge opportunity, not just for us, but for, uh, DeFi in general. Yeah. And so you're a team of eight, you've raised 5 million, you've got some products out there launching new ones soon. Is this going to be through a acquisition? Do you, I mean, possible scenarios would be, launching through an, a SPAC where there's, you know, there's a, a private entity, almost like a shell company that is public and that company acquires yours. And there through that method, you are publicly listed through a direct public listing. IPO, generally I think of as you raise money and then you launch with a, a stock price. People can trade it, but you usually get banks involved during an IPO, you know, ring the bell and that sort of thing. Is which one of those pathways or something else is how you're thinking about it? Um, I mean, my, like, I have these, you know, when I'm kind of laying down, I have the dream of, you know, ringing the bell, <laughs> uh, going from a, being an immigrant with uh, nothing to being on uh, NASDAQ stage, ringing the bell. That's uh, make mama proud. Huge deal. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's different options. SPAC, honestly, is probably the last, um, is on the lower side, um, because as you've probably seen or as some of your uh, listeners have, uh, have seen, SPACs have been just getting destroyed <laughs> uh, in the aftermarket, at least. Um, so that's one of the last options. If we have to go that route, uh, we will just to be on the public market and create that liquidity and demand uh, for DeFi uh, products. But we have another few rounds that we, or a few routes that we've been uh, throwing back and forth. Obviously, going the traditional route, public uh, IPO, um, doing it through like a CF round, and then IPOing, um, doing a reverse merger. Um, I mean, there's just so many different options that have been presented to us, and I'll tell you that the capital market is hungry for crypto stocks. Like mm-hmm. they're, they only have mining companies. Uh, mm-hmm. They have mining companies, and most of them are in the OTC markets. Um, and there's only one publicly traded company on on uh, on the national exchange that's not a mining company, and that's Coinbase. Yeah, um, yeah. So 
Um, and we're in a completely different field of crypto, more of an emerging technology than Coinbase is. So it, it tr- has, like, we've been to a few a conference, uh, a capital market conference called NobleCon, and sp- spoken to a lot of uh, capital market investors. Um, and they're just, there's so much more money in, in the capital markets that it's like mind blowing. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, we, we know that from uh, seeing like how much volume there is on NASDAQ, but it's just, seeing how much money is being thrown out even to like low cap and small cap companies is it dwarfs <laughs> crypto now i know uh when coinbase ipo'd i think their their price somewhere around three three forty they were well north of a ten twenty i think it was probably uh yeah i mean well into the billions valuation Generally speaking, companies have an advantage in raving, raising through private markets in that the deals are, um, you know, they can be selective about the investors. They can negotiate the terms. There's not the visibility from the public markets, but you have crowdfunding through the uh, Reg CF. People can now, companies can now privately or publicly solicit funding from uh, from investors. Is that pathway, do you almost look at the IPO market as a large crowdfunding campaign? And why do you think other companies haven't gone this route before? Yeah, so we are actually looking at crowdfunding as well, because we when we announced that our users were like, you know, some of our users, I received a bunch of emails and telegrams, like, when can I buy into uh, the company before you go public? And uh, that was never really on our radar, but it became on our radar. So this, uh, these people expressed interest. Um, that would just be one of the rounds just to get our users, you know, uh, our dedicated users potentially involved in that, in that, uh, low cap uh, area. Um, but as far as why we're choosing to go public, like I said, you know, the, the marketing behind it is, mm-hmm. is insane. Um, and because there's just such a demand for, DeFi. I mean, it's a huge buzzword in the capital market, right? Yeah, now. totally. Well, I'm wondering so much demand. Why? Why don't other? I mean, you're a small company, and by going public, well, I let me ask you this: Why do you think other small companies don't go public? Generally, Nasdaq is going to be selective. I mean, they're, are they not letting in? Is it the banking fees are so high that generally just you can't pay ten million dollars to like what? What keeps out companies generally? from direct listing i mean small companies are yeah no small companies are direct listing constantly but they usually depending on their size they usually try to and it's also the the demand for the stock so Mm. if we were in like i don't know car sales um and we were a small company getting listed on nasdaq it just wouldn't have the same traction like getting additional investments even if your stock is doing decent um you just it's much harder <laughs> to sell yeah. uh, a and then, company like and that. And then you also have to carry the the regulatory burden, like quarterly earnings exactly. and all that stuff. is yeah. It's expensive. Yeah. Yeah. And from, yeah. Crypt- I mean, what you say about crypto makes a lot of sense. Inherently, the industry that you're in in crypto is super exciting. People want to get into it. People who have money in their brokerage accounts or in other equities would love to trade and just buy into a crypto company just for the fact that it's a crypto company is listed on NASDAQ. Right. Do you, do you see this as something that other crypto founders have overlooked or maybe other fundraising mechanisms like through tokens or VCs is just 
easier? I mean, what what's your take on it? Yeah, talking to people. Um, I think I think um, yeah. So part of it is that most people in DeFi, at least, I, mean, I want to separate DeFi and like the traditional crypto. At least in DeFi, I don't think it's very engineer focused. And again, this is why the user experience in places is very poor. It's so engineer focused that they don't understand the capital markets. I don't either. I'll tell you the truth. I don't understand half the stuff that our attorney and some of these advisors are telling us. But um, they, by having these advisors, they've opened up a different field of view of how the capital markets work and how uh, all of this is happening. Whereas I'm pretty sure all the other founders in, in DeFi are in the same situation as me, and no one's really brought it up uh, to them. Um, so it's not really even on their radar. It wasn't on our radar either. Um, now, as far as the traditional crypto side, like with you know centralized exchanges, uh, more Bitcoin-centric um, companies, they are going public. Like I think Kraken is uh, also trying to do like a... Um, some kind of raise i can't remember what they called it but they did like a raise and i'm pretty sure they're probably gonna eventually go public um there's another uh, exchange um that was trying to do like i think a 2.8 billion dollar ipo um i've started to see a little more uh traction from exchanges uh looking to go public um it's i think it's it's getting there and eventually i think DeFi is also going to follow that there's more well, the centralized exchanges go public, the ones that can. Um, obviously, some of them are located in some random island in the middle of the ocean. Um, but as the, the USA companies uh, go public, it's going um, to start flowing the DeFi crowd as well uh, towards it. Uh, so, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's just it's getting started. Um, and that's why we're going to be the first one. Yeah, dude, I, 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 I respect your ambition to move in that direction given how few people have done that and the few have have done it are tend to be you know much larger companies so excited to see how it works out for you excited to learn from it I mean, hopefully we'll have it back on and we'll talk about it um yeah no it'll be it'll be exciting uh, and like i said being the first one ringing that bell is uh being the first DeFi company being the first probably georgian yeah <laughs> to ring the bell uh, on nasdaq is is a pretty it's you can't put money on that at yeah that point. yeah dude that's what that's what america's about the immigrant success story yeah. <laughs> um are you writing publicly are you tweeting do you have a are, are you personally um active on any of that no um actually uh i don't use twitter um my facebook facebook actually kicked me off their platform uh, a while back um why so I don't oh, you're a, what are you, when you're uh, advertising uh, e-commerce stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know that game. Yeah, yeah, they they have a weird uh, like they just have an automated system that if it thinks that you're doing something wrong, there's absolutely no way to fight it back. Um, so um, not on Facebook, not on Twitter. I just honestly have no time for it. I think my partner is. Uh, if anyone wants to add him. Uh, I think it's like Tara's uh, underscore D5 or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, no, social media is not my thing anymore. Cool. Well, we got you on this podcast, so that's uh, that's coming somewhere. Yeah. Um, well, I love the project. I love what you guys have built. Um, definitely, we'll include all the links for Orox and the, the Raging Bull icon, which I love. <laughs> Anything else you want to throw out there? Otherwise, it's been awesome to chat with you. No, uh, nothing else. Yeah, you guys check out the website. Our platform's free. Um, uh, 
and the wallet were actually have a very su- big surprise uh, to the people that are going to be using the wallets here in the next few weeks. Um, it's going to be another unique aspect that hasn't been applied to DeFi, and I think uh, a lot of people are going to enjoy it. Oh, can we get a clue? Is it a a, a feature of convenience? Uh, it's it's not convenience as more as uh, it is rewarding people for utilizing uh, the wallet. Um, and it's, it's going to be pretty, uh, it's essentially going to be bringing DeFi to the 21st and even though like crypto is ahead of its time, it's, uh, it's going to bring in the, the more of the business aspects of what we see other companies doing in, in web 2.0, um, to web three rewards, baby, getting those airline miles. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. I'm just guessing. I have no idea, but, uh, Gee, this has been awesome, man. Thanks so much for sharing your time, sharing your story. I hope you guys keep crushing it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. everybody. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Have you ever felt that your life has no meaning? Do you wake up in the morning dreading the day ahead? Do you feel lost? I'm Tanner Campbell, host of the podcast Practical Stoicism. Every Saturday morning, I explore the ancient texts of Stoicism and derive from them practical takeaways that anyone can implement to live a more contented and fulfilling life. Search your podcast listening app of choice for Practical Stoicism and join me each week to explore Stoicism practically and discover how it can help you live better. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.